Um, so the problem with, with trying to view success is it means different things to everybody else. So how do you teach success? That's impossible. But one thing you can learn from is the commonality of failure. Welcome to the Resilient Recruiter Podcast. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My very special guest today is Nick Price. Nick is the CEO of Bright Purple Resourcing, which he co-founded in 1995. They're headquartered in Edinburgh. They've got 25 staff who specialize in placing technology change and transformation professionals. Nick is one of those people that knows absolutely everyone, and that's because he really is someone who gets involved in business and community life in, in Scotland including industry associations, entrepreneurial groups, charities. I've seen him sleeping rough in the dead of winter to raise money for Social Bite and their campaign to end homelessness in Scotland. He's been a mentor for the Royal Bank of Scotland Startup Accelerator. He's been a director at the Scottish Chamber of Commerce. I have known Nick for more than 25 years. He was one of my very first clients when I set up my training and consulting business in 2001. I've come to consider him a friend. Now, this episode is a little different from what I normally do because at Nick's insistence, instead of celebrating achievement today, we are going to celebrate failure, okay? And heads up, this episode has a parental advisory sticker. Uh, It probably will contain swearing, knowing Nick. So if that offends you, you might want to skip this episode. I don't imagine many recruiters will be upset, but just in case you're listening to this podcast with your kids playing in the background, you have been warned. Nick. Thank you for being here. Hey, you're welcome, Mark. All right. Nick, can you, when I first asked you to do this, you were quite reluctant. Can you explain why you didn't want to come on the podcast and then what, what changed your mind? Uh, well, I think it was probably the fact that I, uh, I, I, I listened to all the Resilient um, Recruiter podcasts and uh, I love them actually, but uh, I felt that being... Um, Let's, let's just put it as a small-time recruiter in the Principality of Scotland um, that I was listening to some incredible people uh, telling, well, basically telling every single thing you need to know about recruitment, basically, and I didn't feel like I had anything to add. So when you asked me the first time, I was reticent because, basically, I didn't feel like I had anything to add. So, um, which which is nonsense, of course, because... You wouldn't still be in business after 25 years if you if you weren't doing a lot of uh, a lot of things right, but um, but but I actually I like your take on this and you actually proposed this to me. You said, "Look, I'll do it, but only if we can talk about failures and make that the emphasis instead of successes, because that will be something I think I can contribute to." So um, so listen with that spirit. I I, uh, I appreciate you coming on the on the show, Nick, um, you know, talk, talk to us about your recruitment journey. You know, you've, you've had your business for 25 years. There've been some incredible highs and, and some real challenges. Can you talk to us about like, what do you think has been the biggest challenge that you've, uh, dealt with as a CEO? Well, actually, the biggest challenge I dealt with as CEO um, was actually becoming CEO. Uh, that was probably the biggest challenge I ever dealt with because that was a period of my uh, recruiting life where uh, the trust uh, between founding business partners completely shattered and I had to 
release the uh, release my business partner from his post from the company and then pick up the um, shattered pieces and go again. So I became CEO, even though I founded the company, I wasn't CEO. Um, I became CEO after a, a particularly difficult period for the company. Can you say more about that? Like, so, I mean, I think this is relevant to anybody who's in a partnership or, you know, is a, you know, one of many directors in a, in an enterprise. What, what happened? I think, I mean, I, st- I mean, first of all, I started, you asked about my recruitment career and I, and I started my, I fell into my recruitment job, like almost every person I've ever met. Um, you know, I, I haven't met many people, including you, you know, who, who planned to, to become recruiters. Uh, and no, I, I didn't I, even know this existed as a, as a job. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, and it's a shame because it's, you know, it's an amazing career and, and it's an amazing industry. And, you know, I remember joining the industry in 1989 when I had a full set of hair. And um, <laughs> uh, I remember people telling me the industry was finished uh, back in 89. Um, and, you know, reading articles thinking, oh, my God, I've joined the wrong industry. Even in my, you know, in my midlife, I joined the wrong industry. But I started, I started, you know, basically as a, a, a you know, a recruiter. That's what I started as, and and I worked my way up. But but eventually, when I when I founded, when we founded Bright Purple in 1995, I went into business with a best friend, basically. Uh, and and the other great magical idea that we had was 50-50. Uh, we we should be equal partners. That's absolutely fine until it all falls apart. And then once it falls apart, 50-50 is a crap idea. And and and, act, and actually going into business with your best friend is a bad crap idea as well because eventually when you then have to sack your best friend, um, everything that you ever um, imagined to be painful uh, comes to bear basically. Um, so we had been through uh, we had been through some brilliant growth times and uh, you know had a you know had a great business. We never planned to have. Uh, we never planned to be giants. Um, we, you know, we were we were slightly older when I suppose when we came into that sector, and so we never planned to be giants. We we were having a great time. We had great relationships with customers, with our staff, etc. Um, and then along came a downturn, um, and and it hit us really really hard. Uh, and in fact, it almost wiped the legs from right from underneath us. Um, and and we. We had mechanisms in place to get through it, but I, at the time, our CEO, my founding partner, um, was very blinkered about the future of recruitment. Um, older than I was, and uh, had a blinkered had a blinkered vision of what was to come, and we couldn't shift it. So eventually, I took a year out of the business, and I, I left the business for a year, um, and I went off and invested in some other. Um, ideas and uh, I, f- I took some time out and then I came back a year later and the recession was was starting to bottom out so we, we were we were seeing growth. Nick, sorry to interrupt the flow. Wh- which downturn are you referring to here? Uh, well, at the end of at the end of two thousand and uh, two thousand. I, I suppose it was a con- it, it was a it was a mix of. The 2000 dot com double a bubble burst. Yes. Uh, Y2K uh, and everybody spending their money there. Uh, the euro arriving. All these huge projects and and then and then couple, 9/11. And, uh, you know, there was a whole. Uh, there was a whole yeah. raft of things that came together and yeah. basically 
what happened was we we got hit late in in that um and as i say we we had plans to we had plans to 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 get through it but but what was uh, what was apparent was that um when you step away from the business you expect obviously everybody else to step up um and and there was friction when i came back and and that friction got worse and and that friction started to spread through the organization like wildfire to be honest um and the once once that friction came between two 50-50 shareholding partners there was only one thing that was going to happen and that was one of us was going um and that's how it came to pass um so the the sad part about that was uh i had spent a long number of years working with my business partner prior to starting the company um you know best friends uh, godparents to each other's children um you know just chaos to be honest and are you are, is that still finished or have you been able to you know rebuild anything there um yeah I, um that's an interesting point actually because what happened was uh, um yeah, I I I I never saw him uh, again uh, until uh, maybe uh, a couple of years ago, and this is many years after actually, yeah. you know, the 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 situation that happened. Um, but you know, I I've always had a view that you know, life life's too short. You know, I'm getting older, and uh, certainly grudges and things like that. It's you know maybe in my younger days maybe I was a you know maybe I was a guy that would you know I would not have got that found that easy to get over but actually you know I shook his hand recently well in the last couple of years we we bumped into each other um you know would I go around to dinner at his house probably not fair enough you so know? it sounds like that was a a very stressful um, process Nick what, looking back on it with uh, the benefit of hindsight what would you have done different um yeah of course it was stressful i mean i think that it's interesting actually i talked to a lot of my peers and and you said at the start there that this is something that others will re- relate to absolutely it's something you relate to because too many people hide this stuff in closets they carry on and they try to find a way through it when actually you know make the decisions quick um, they, 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 we, we talk about fail fast, and, and I, I guess we might talk about that a little bit later on. But actually, there's no, you know, they, from a point of view of what would I have learned from it, I don't think the writing was always on the wall because when you go into a partnership, you tend to go into a partnership with rose tinted glasses. You tend sure, to- you're optimistic, just like, you know, when you get married, you're going into it assuming that this is, you know, this is going to work out. Yeah, that's probably what my first wife said. Um, so, you know, um, you uh, you go you go into it with rose tinted glasses. You always see the best because, in the case of myself and my business partner, we were a very successful recruiting team for a for a very big firm, uh, and we were very good at what we did. Um, and of course, when you leave uh, and set up, and then you're very good again together. That's fine until then you start having structures and titles. And have you heard the word on some of your podcast egos um, mentioned? Um, you know, somebody who somebody who thinks that uh, 
being right all the time is is important rather than actually admitting when you're wrong. Yeah. So mm. what would I have done differently? It was too late to do anything differently. Um, it was it was set from the minute we joined we joined together because the underlying things that you don't see from about people come to the surface when the the most amount of stress hits. And mm. and I think that right now, if you look at where we are. As a world just now, you know, we're deep in the midst of a pandemic that is, you know, wiping out people, sadly. You, you know, business is, is important, but actually um, the sad part just now is people are getting wiped out left, right and centre. Um, and the stress levels on leaders is immense. Um, yes. And I would imagine right now there are quite a few companies around the world that are... Um, actually starting to see what their business partners are like, um, you know, what the support behind them is, um, the care, uh, the care for their, the care for their well-being, never mind the well-being of all the people that they, they have the responsibility to look after, but actually a leadership team needs to be cared for it as well. Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Nick, we've talked before about, you know, highs and lows, um, when when you guys were sort of at your biggest, what sort of size was Bright Purple? Um, about forty million turnover. Uh, forty million pounds, yeah. Yeah, forty million pounds, yes. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, but profitable enough for me to have a you know comfortable life. Great. And then, um, how many people is that? Does that represent in the at that team? time? Um, we were probably about. 50 people. About 50. Okay. So you're about ha half the size now. People-wise, yeah. People-wise, yeah. But actually, I think it's interesting that uh, we never set out to be a big company. You know, we never set out to, to be a, a giant that dominated. You know, I think that, um, you know, it's interesting. You and I have known each other for an awful long time. And you're right. We've known each other before I started my company. Uh, and you know, I've always had huge respect for you. But one of the biggest um, pieces of respect I have for you is that it's it's about you and and the quality of what you deliver. Um, and if you if there were fifty of you, would it be the same service? I'm not sure. Um, and I think that that was the view we took on our company. Uh, we wanted it to be. We knew that there would be bigger challenges. Um, to, to grow in a huge organization. So we are actually, we are very comfortable where we are. Uh, we've no, uh, I've no plans to have some enormous organization, you know, when, and I presume that when somebody eventually takes us over, um, they'll be buying somebody small, agile and efficient. They won't, okay. be, they won't be buying a giant. Interesting. So can you say a little more about that? Like what are the benefits of, keeping it smaller rather than, you know, grow, grow, grow? Uh, I guess that we can focus now more on, so the pandemic actually um, has, what the pandemic has done is it's given us time, almost four months now, to, to sit back and reflect on what we want to be coming out the other side of it. So <laughs> rather than think about, you know, if I think about, I don't know, a couple of years ago, we had a, a leadership team that were uh, looking to add lots of things to, to lots of offerings to the organization. They were looking to, you know, how can we have people here, people there, uh, et cetera. I went along with it, um, but, you know, was I totally uh, 100% bought into it? You know, I'm, I'm going to say, you know, that was, 
that was a mistake from my side because I probably paid lip service to it and I, I, I probably I probably went along with it rather than actually uh, making the call. Um, so the benefit just now is that the pandemic has given us time to sit back um, reflect uh, and to reflect properly on what the next 10 years might look like in a new norm because we also have to remember that you know where we came from before March isn't going to be the same for the foreseeable future and might never be the same again. Um, so small, agile, fleet of foot, efficient, able to absolutely focus in on the people that work for us and make them the very best that we can make them. You know, will they be considered to be the best in the industry? We think they're the best in the industry. Yeah. Um, how can we make them better? Um, well, that's the point. We've, we've, we've been reflecting, you know, training. We, we, we have to get better uh, at it. Um, we have to, uh, we, you talk about resilient recruiter, you know, I would say that since I've been in the industry since late 89, I'm a resilient recruiter. You know, I've been through so many recessions, battles, wars, mistakes, errors, um, that, you know, I feel like I'm resilient, yeah? And, and I want my people to be resilient because I owe it to them to give them a long-term career like I've had a long-term career. Whether that long-term career is with Bright Purple or whether they decide to do, you know, go somewhere else and work for somebody else, et cetera. You know, I'm not going to worry about that because a long time ago I left somebody else. Um, so I'm not going to worry about that, but I want to see my new young leadership team given every chance to invest in people uh, and to make us the best that we can be. Awesome. Let's, uh, I think we're on a roll here, Nick. So this is great. Um, you know, what are some of the other, so, you you're often in a mentoring role at this stage in your career. So if you're mentoring uh, sort of young, hungry, you know, recruitment business owners who are coming up, um, what are some of the other mistakes that you've made that you you would like to point out to them to to try and? I mean, they're probably going to make them anyway because that's life, right? But if you could help them to avoid some of those pitfalls what would be the big what would be the big pitfalls how long is the podcast is it about an hour isn't it <laughs> yeah <laughs> i probably need half a day to round them all off um you know look I, you're right i mean i'm i am a mentor i've mentored yeah i heard you mentioning i've mentored for the world banks startup community i have and and i've mentored in you know i'm i'm mentoring some small startup technology businesses just now um what I suppose the important thing is that they they make the mistakes. You know, one of the things that you know I'm a firm believer firm believer is if if we don't try and you know and take those risks, we'll never know. Now, to be fair, there are some people out there who have taken risks and have been there at the right time, got something right, and and you know and absolutely um, nailed it. Yeah, Um, and I've. I've had some of those experiences, but I think that, you know, for me, the real learning lessons ha- have been around uh, people. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's I, a people I, business, so it's um, like, but, that's a huge. I don't believe there'll be a recruitment owner, leader, manager uh, out there who, you know, who hasn't named that as their number one, uh, their number one challenge, getting it excuse me, getting it right, because 
you go along with the kind of assumption that you're the perfect person to pick the right people for your organization. Uh, and actually, that's, a, that's often a big mistake. Uh, I, I mean, over many years, I thought I knew people. I thought I knew how to pick the people that were going to move my organization to the next level, to the next level. Um, and, and sometimes when I, you know, I would rubber stamp people who I said, they're absolutely going to turn us into world beaters. And I was wrong. Um, you know, often they, uh, they turned out to be uh, a bigger challenge for us than, than the challenge we faced when we didn't have them. Um, so managing, managing disruptive, disruptive people, managing egos, managing uh, people who don't care about the person that sits next to them, managing people who don't care about the brand that they work for, um, you know, and don't believe in that brand. They just, they just want money. Yeah. Um, those kinds of people, I have made multiple, multiple, multiple errors. Yeah. I could write, I could write a book on that, that piece alone. Yeah. And so for the people who are out there in the early stages of their company, I think it's about realizing that, you know, it's not all about you. It's not all about you as, you know, the leader of an organization, the, the, the founder of a startup, et cetera. It's about all those people who are behind you um, actually often doing all the heavy carrying. Yeah. Um, and, and those people that do the heavy carrying are often the best judge of the people who should be sitting in the seat beside them. Um, and uh, yet, you know, we see it in every single organization. I talk to, you know, my chairman owns, uh, uh, you know, other, co- other recruiting companies and when we have a chat, you, you'll ask, you know, what's been, you know, how's it been? And, and, and all, all, almost all the time it's, yeah, well, we shouldn't have hired him or we shouldn't have hired her or, you, you know. So we, it doesn't matter. You never, you'll never get it right. You know, my chairman made <laughs> significant, significant wins with, with um, huge organizations. And uh, as I say, today runs some very, very big, much bigger organizations than us. Um, and one of his biggest um talking points at our board meeting is how the others got it wrong with their people as well. So I never feel bad. I never feel bad about getting it wrong. You just got to end it as quickly as you can. And that doesn't always happen, by the way. Okay. So there's a couple of points to pick up on there, but starting with that one, like what are the signs, how long do you give someone and what are the signs that, uh Oh, this was a mistake? Do you know, I said, that's an interesting one because I hear, I was listening to one of the previous podcasts and, um, and it was the, I think it was the gentleman from Singapore. Okay. Yeah. Um, and it was a fascinating, it was a fascinating podcast, fascinating interview. That was Richard, uh, Richard Hoon. Richard Hoon. Well, yeah. well, I, 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 I've listened to that one actually a couple of times because I really like that, particularly like that one. But actually what I, in that interview, he talked about, bringing back the professionalism to our industry. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But you at one point um, had said in that interview that you'd been given three months and you had been, you you were talking about a lack of training and you had been given three months, et cetera. Um, So to answer your question, uh, how long do you give somebody? Um, If within the first week, they aren't the same person that you interviewed, then get them gone. Yeah. Right. Um, and that's not a bad, that's not because you are trying to be, you know, a nasty employer or something like that. But often when you keep people in a seat for a job that they're not capable of doing, even with training, you're causing them more harm than you're causing them good. You know? 
I mean, to be honest, I've got people that have worked for me, loyally worked with me um, for, for, for a number of years. Some of them are part of my, my board now. Um, and they came to us as, as juniors and are now part of the board. So I'm all for giving the people that are helping us to grow uh, or helping us as a business the opportunity. But I think that people coming to our industry thinking that it's an easy way to make money, maybe. Maybe they think it's an easy way to have a career. Uh, maybe they think it's just, uh, you know, maybe they just think it's, it, it's a way to get a job, just to, 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 you know, to, to do something. And I don't think enough people realize just how um, great a career this is if you absolutely fully commit to it. And so I think that what you end up finding is that you do more damage to people if you keep them in a seat um, longer than is necessary. Um, you, you know, you, it, we're, at the end of the day, we are, we are a sales organization. We, we are, you know, we are selling solutions that are revolve around people. We're putting people into our customers. It's a sales job. Um, and people think that it's a HR job or they think it's a consultancy job you know we 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 hear the word consultant and and they've got one year's experience and you think well you know i i i had 20 odd years of industry before i came into recruitment you know maybe i could be called a consultant um so when when you've got somebody who interviews with you and tells you how amazing they are and what they're going to do for you and how committed they are and then the first weekend they're a different person to what you interviewed then at the end of that first week, you should have a very nice chat with them and explain that potentially recruitment isn't for them. Yeah, um, so uh, there is no set time. Um, you know, what, you said it yourself. You 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 were sat down and you were given three months. The pressure of being given three months is not good for your health. Um, we don't give anybody three months. You know, if we 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 give people the opportunity to to be the best that they can be. And if that fits into what we consider to be the best, then they stay and, and they have a great life with us. Um, but we, you know, but equally, um, yeah, we've had somebody that I think um, just last year or the year before lasted two weeks um, because they were not the person that interviewed. Interesting. Now that's a good, a good benchmark. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading, and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. You said, look, you're going to 
still make mistakes and and because it's not an exact science, how have you adapted your hiring process to try and um, improve your success rate? Yeah, well, I think, I mean, the, the, the I think that when you say adapted, we, I think it's, we are not a large organization, okay? So we are not a, uh, I don't know, we are not Hayes or, you know, one of these giants who, who probably have, you know, 50 HR people, well, maybe not now, but um, who, you know, who maybe have um, a huge number of HR people inside their organization coming up with all these, um, uh, you know, amazing strategies around uh, recruiting and onboarding and everything else. You know, we're a small company, 25 people. A lot of what we do goes on gut feel, yeah? Um, it's gut feel that has got us to 25 years. There, there is no... Um, there is no battle plan about how we hire. There is no um, set format. You know, we, we, you know, I just, uh, for instance, we, we're 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 working remote just now, and, and have been since March. Um, we're we're two, two final interviews for two people to join us. Um, we we because we have two people that have come available that fit a particular need just now. Um, how do we work that? Well, we're doing it from home. We're doing it between multiple people, trying to do it on Zoom. Um, th- there is no set format. It, we still rely on our gut. Now, are we right to do that? Maybe not. Um, but again, I come back to it. It's got us to 25 years. We've got, you know, some super, you know, we've got some really super people. Um, and I think we will never change. I just quite simply, so that might, that <laughs> might, sound, that might sound like, um, uh, you know, the height of stupidity to, to some of these giants that I've listened to out there. Um, but actually, it works for us. And I think what's really important is what works for you works for you. What works for me works for me. I'm not going to complain what works. I'm not going to judge on what works for you. Don't judge me. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough, Nick. Nick, can you tell the story of... You turned down a big offer for the business, um, and what happened after that? Yeah. Um, so I suppose every recruiter is always in the market to be sold, and and over the twenty five years we've had various organisations. You know, when when we were at our when we were fast growing in the early stages and 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 on and onwards we've had offers for the business one particular offer uh, was very attractive um, the organization w- were huge they they had lots of money uh, lots of cash to 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 burn and they wanted an operation in Scotland um, we were making a lot of news at that time and uh, we were approached by their executive who flew up from London. Um, I think I might have even had a tie on that day um, and uh, they certainly had they certainly had their ties on that's for sure um, and they came and talked to us and it was all very amicable um, and they were they were very attractive they, they seemed to they seemed to be the kinds of people that we could work with. So the exec had a chat and we decided to go down to London and uh, meet them. And, and we went down to London, met with their FD and some of their other execs. And the outcome of that was we listened to this amazing story about where we might go. And I started getting pictures in my head of lying on a beach a little bit earlier than I planned to. 
Um, but when we went away, we suddenly started to think, and by the way, the, the, the offer was mainly paper. So the offer was mainly shares. Yeah. Um, and when we came back to Scotland, we started to think, actually, why do we need them? We've got a perfectly good business. We do. We have great relationships with customers that we've had for a long time. We've got great people. Right now, what would we do? I mean, if I had if I had sold at that point, you know, did, I had left an organization to work for myself, and then I was going to go back and work for somebody else again. And the other thing was, I'd left an organization that was controlled out of London, and I worked for them in Scotland. And year was going to do exactly the same thing, work for an organization out of London, running an office in Scotland. So we decided that um, even though it was an awful lot of money, um, we decided to turn it down and they were gobsmacked. Um, it was actually quite funny because it was before the time of, well, it was certainly before Zoom and Skype and everything else. Um, so it was a case of meeting uh, in London um, shaking their hands and saying no thanks, um, which you know still makes me smile today because um, you know they they were definitely dumbfounded, that's for sure. Uh, but what was even more, I'm not going to say, what was even more right about that decision was six months later their shares crashed through the floor, absolutely bottomed, yeah, um, and we would have been working for nothing because all of the paper that we had would have been worth absolutely zero. Um, so anybody that came after that, um, the minute they used the word paper, um, we just said, no, thank you. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what happened. Um, that organization never recovered, by the way. Um, and so we would have given up all the hard work that we put in and see nothing for it. So a piece of advice to all of you out there who think, um, you know, selling your company is uh, the right thing to do. You know, it's your company. You, you've put all the blood, sweat and tears into it. Um, somebody with dip, deep pockets just wants, they just want it, they, you know, and they'll do anything to get it. That doesn't mean that they're the right fit for you. That doesn't mean that you know, you're part of the family, um, you know, when, uh, you know, you might become the estranged, you know, the estranged niece or something at the end of it and, uh, you know, find yourself, um, you know, find, find yourself not at the dinner table, but, uh, you know, sitting in the outhouse uh, or sitting in the garden shed having your dinner uh, because you, you definitely won't be at the top table, that's for sure. Wow. So that, that turned out to be a Great decision in retrospect. Uh, you must have. One, Mark, one of my very few ones, considering this discussion was all supposed to be about getting things wrong. Uh, yeah, that was one of my getting things right. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Nick, you can you talk about fuck up nights and how you got involved in that? Because that's how we uh, recently, most recently, have become reacquainted. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, not only most recently, but last night you were an amazing speaker, um, sharing honestly, rawly and openly your own uh, challenges. Um, and for which I, I thank you, uh, I graciously thank you. Um, so, yeah, a couple of years ago, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm an, you know, I'm, I'm a, pro, I'm, I'm 59. You know, I'm not a young recruiter anymore. I'm 59. I still have all the spark and energy that I had when I, I started out in this industry. Um, 
But what happens when you get older is you start to realize that all the successful people that tell you how successful they are and how they could afford their Ferraris and their Lamborghinis and their yachts, etc., they never really teach you anything. Um, <laughs> you go along, you feel... You know, you go along to a chat by some amazing guy or some amazing lady, you get um, super motivated and, and you, you know, you feel in, invigorated. And, and I've been on many of those over the years, but I've never really learned anything um, because their version of success or their view of success isn't the same as my view of success. It's not the same uh, you know, if for me, what's the most successful thing in my life? I'm 59 years old. I've got, I've got um, bright purple. I'm a founder of a technology business. Uh, you know, I, I sit on the board of a charity. But the most successful thing I've ever done is three children who are amazing citizens, amazing citizens, yeah? Um, I will never be more proud of anything than my children. So, you know, if I, if I sell bright purple tomorrow for hundreds of millions, it still won't matter. Um, so the problem with, with trying to view success is it means different things to everybody else. So how do you teach success? That's impossible. But one thing you can learn from is the commonality of failure. Yeah? The, so a couple of years ago, I, I, I was just sick. I had started to um, rescind lots of offers to go along to speak at events um, uh, about my successes uh, or and I I had started to almost um, go back into my shell regards events and then I happened to uh, stumble um, by pure chance uh, I was in I was in London and I stumbled upon an event uh, called fuck up nights and I thought wow uh, I have no idea what that is but I'm going um, it was the best event I ever attended ever attended yeah um I, I listened to three people tell their stories of failing um and what what happened instantly was i found i was in an audience of people who were all there who were all talking about the same thing the mistakes and errors that they'd made the lessons they'd learned from it the the failings that they'd had personally and in business and how those things had interacted with each other and had, and, and had impacted decision making had impacted um family lives, etc. And everybody I talked to, I could relate to. In fact, that first meeting, I must have made 20 contacts I'm still very good friends with today, two years later. Um, I don't think I've ever been to an event where I've felt a bond with people. I've never been to, you know, some big show and came away thinking, oh my God, you know, I've got a new family friend. Um, but I came away from that feeling like I'd found a tribe um, and, you know, a tribe that I actually belong to. Because I had personally failed so many times, everything they were talking about, I could relate to. So I came back to Scotland. I did a little bit of investigating, and I found out that it was actually a serious organization based out of Mexico City, um, founded um, six or seven years ago. Uh, and today, in over 320 cities, in over 91 countries around the world. Um, and so... I took the licenses for, for Edinburgh and Glasgow. And for the last two years, almost two years, we've been running um, the events. Awesome. I mean, look, well, first of all, 
thank you for inviting me to, to participate in the one that we we uh, we had yesterday. It was uh, it was quite an experience, and I've given hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of talks. I've I don't I don't know how many thousands of people I've spoken to, but I was more nervous for that talk than virtually any other that I can think of because it's not. It's not easy, is it, to talk about the things that you got wrong or the f- mistakes you've made? It's painful, um, and yet uh, what I found was that I could relate to listening to the other speakers. Uh, I could, I could really empathize with, you know, their even though their stories were different to mine. Then I think I could relate to them on a, on a human level. So it was powerful, and uh, so well done to you for discovering that and bringing it to uh to Scotland and your daughter Siri did an amazing job and she's only I think 20 or something she did an amazing job of um orchestrating the whole thing yeah so, and I think you know what's you know, what, what what does it allow it's cathartic it allows you to open up uh with not with the fear that people are there to judge you that people are there to listen and learn to you because they listen and learn from you because they all uh, have been in your position, different time, different, different, maybe different businesses, maybe different times in their lives, etc. But actually, they've all been in your position. And if you look at the three speakers last night, you all told incredible stories of, of, you know, of of, of getting it wrong. Um, all were different, but the theme was the same: getting it wrong. And we had a global audience on there last night and you saw the chat box lighting up with, I can totally relate to that. I can totally relate to that because it doesn't matter whether you're in Southern Carolina, South Carolina, Lithuania, India, Africa, as it was last night, uh, Germany, France, uh, Scotland. Um, it doesn't matter. The mistake you make in South Carolina is the same mistake you make in Edinburgh. Um, you know, so the, the the ability to relate, but the, but the most important part is that that tribe um, shares that burden yeah, of uh, failure. So you feel cathartic because you feel like, oh my God, I've said it and, and it's out there and nobody judged me for it. Awesome. Nick, um, I mean, I feel like there's lots more stories to tell, but uh, we, might, we might need to say, let's do it again. Um, it's been awesome catching up with you, my friend. Thank you for thank you for finally agreeing to do this. Very welcome. It's been a it's been a cathartic pleasure. So, Nick, uh, I'll put all your contact info and uh, website links and so on in the show notes at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. But uh, if people want to reach out to you uh, to connect, share ideas, find out more about Prime or, or whatever, what's the be- what's the number one place they should uh, do that? Use the bright purple email address, nick.price at brightpurple.co.uk. Fantastic. All right. Thanks again, sir. It was awesome uh, speaking to you as usual, and I'll look forward to catching up soon. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.